Kayla Berg was 15 when she disappeared back in 2009. Somebody knows something. Please, for the love of God, if you know something, just tell law enforcement, the FBI, any agency. Just help me get my daughter back and help me find her and get some answers. And if Kayla, you still happen to see this somewhere, oh God, I love you and I just want you. Welcome to the Searching for Closure podcast, an ongoing investigation into the unsolved 2009 missing persons case of 15-year-old Kayla Berg. Before I begin today's episode, I just want to give everyone a quick bit of advice. Please, be weary of which Facebook groups you join. There's a lot of scam groups out there run by egotistical psychopaths who don't want to help. They just want fame or money. If Hope isn't an admin of the Facebook group, then it's not condoned by her or her family. Even if the title's misleading, such as Hope's Army, don't buy into it. There's only two official Facebook groups condoned by this family. The Missing Kayla Mayberg group which Hope posts in frequently, and also there's the Missing But Not Forgotten page. My Facebook group, which you can find at facebook.com slash groups slash searching for closure, is just a non-profit closed group to post updates and discuss each episode. If you find a group run by someone named Arnie Anderson, do not join that group. And if you do, report it to Hope. Or let me know, because that group is not going to do anything good. Anything coming from that group is probably going to be a bad thing. I'll touch upon it in later episodes, but just warning everyone right now, just be careful who you trust on Facebook. And now having said that, let's get on with this episode. Early on in the investigation... Authorities got the feeling that friends of Kayla may have been withholding information from them. There was speculation at the time that one or more of Kayla's friends may have had additional knowledge about what may have happened to her or her whereabouts, which initially led investigators to feel vindicated in their theory that she simply ran away. Investigators got in contact with Kevin and arranged to interview him about the events of the night. Once again, Kevin admitted to picking up Kayla, driving around, smoking weed with her, and then dropping her off at her friend's house in Wausau at approximately 10.30 p.m. Kevin stuck to his story that after Kayla got out of the car, he simply backed out of the driveway and went on his merry way, not even waiting to see if Kayla got in or if she was safe. He tried to explain that there was a lot of one-way roads in Wausau, that he wasn't sure where he was going and that Kayla basically told him where to go and when to stop. Eventually, it's discovered that the home he's alleged to have left Kayla at is 1017 East Wausau Avenue, which belonged to her ex-boyfriend, Miguel. But as we learned on the last episode, 
Miguel no longer lived there. He had moved a little more than a mile away. The house had been inspected by the county and deemed unlivable, and the home was condemned. A lot of people thought that it was possible that Kayla didn't know that he'd moved, since she'd been living down in Texas for a couple months. But other people claimed that she had known of the move. Her friends, Megan and Natasha, who usually went to Wausau with Kayla, told investigators that the weekend before she vanished, she had gone to Wausau with them, and they had gone to Miguel's new place. Kayla was very aware of the new location, and Natasha explained that, despite the move and separation, that Kayla and Miguel had been talking again, and Kayla had even spent a few nights at Miguel's new house, so Kayla definitely would have known where he lived. According to Natasha, they hadn't quite got back together officially, but they were definitely talking about the possibility. To both Megan and Natasha, It made no sense that Kayla would have asked Kevin to drop her off at the old house, knowing that no one lived there. Even if Kayla was stoned out of her mind, she couldn't have been so high that she forgot about Miguel's new place. Finally, on August 20th, authorities elevated the status of the case to that of an endangered missing child. One thing that really stood out to me was something that Hope had stated. She said, quote, My daughter was extremely afraid of the dark. She had nightmares about people taking her and doing bad things to her. So, for her to get out at a vacant house that is completely dark with no one around, that's not my Kayla. Another thing that bothered investigators about Kevin's story is that it was Kayla's idea to go to the house, despite none of her friends being aware of her plans to go to Wausau that night, including Beth who she had told she would call, and Natasha, who she also made plans with to talk to later that night. Even her brother Jimmy said he was not aware of any plans for Kayla to go to Wausau that night, and if he had known about it, he definitely would not have let her go alone. After speaking with Kevin, the Antigua Police Department turned their attention to Miguel and reached out to the Wausau Police Department. The Wausau Police went to his home to question him, and see if Kayla was, in fact, there. His response was that the last time he saw her was a Friday before she went missing at a party at his house. So, even according to Miguel, Kayla would have known about his new house. With his permission, police searched Miguel's house, but found no signs that she had been staying there, nor did they get any indications that a crime had been committed. After checking Miguel's home, they went to his previous residence and found the condemned structure showed no signs of entry. It didn't appear anyone had been inside it for some time, and there was no evidence of a crime there either. It's around this point in time that the local media grabs a hold of Kayla's story and begins to run segments about her disappearance. Hope made missing persons flyers with a detailed description of Kayla, as well as details about the last time she was seen and pass them around town. Kayla was described as Caucasian female with brown hair and brown eyes, standing five foot two and weighing 108 pounds. She was last seen wearing a red spaghetti strap top, a dark blue hooded sweatshirt, blue jeans, tan low-heeled sandals, and a silver ringed necklace. Kayla had a scar on her right shin and a small chickenpox scar on her right cheek and the right side of her nose. 
She had an abdominal scar from surgery and her appendix had been removed. Her navel was pierced and her ears were double pierced. She also answered to the nickname KK. Being that Antigo is such a small town, and Kayla having been friends with so many people, news traveled pretty fast. As a result of the media attention, tips began flooding the Antigo Police Department, but for the most part, they led to dead ends and failed to shed any light on Kayla's whereabouts. For two weeks following Kayla's disappearance, investigators conducted interviews with everyone they could find. Sadly, the information they received simply didn't answer their questions, and for the most part, no one seemed to have any idea of what happened to Kayla. For authorities, the two people on the top of the list of possibilities are Kevin and Miguel, but as too often, they simply don't have enough information or evidence to do anything about it. On August 26, 15 days after Kayla was last seen, authorities received what, at the time, was considered a, a viable tip. A tipster called police and claimed that he thought he'd seen a woman fitting Kayla's description at Walmart. The police went to the store and got access to the security footage. Upon reviewing the tapes, authorities witnessed a young woman exit a Ford Taurus and enter the store. After a short period of time, the woman left the store, but this time got into the passenger seat of a black pickup truck. Believing they finally caught a break and got Kayla on camera, they took the tape to her mother, Hope. At first, Hope thought that the woman bore a striking resemblance to her daughter, but upon closer examination, she felt the woman depicted in the security footage was not Kayla. She said that the woman had a very different walking style than her daughter and her body language was just all wrong. While the sighting turned out to be nothing more than a case of mistaken identity, it did work somewhat to the benefit of investigators. News stories once again covered Kayla's case, and this also stirred up tips and information. But with very little actual evidence to go on and no new leads, authorities once again returned their attention to the two men at the top of their suspect list, or the only two known suspects, rather, Kevin and Miguel. Their first step was to once again visit the vacant house where Miguel had previously lived. After a thorough inspection of the premises, they found nothing that indicated that anyone had been inside or that any crime had taken place there. Directly across from the home was a wooded area and a lake, which seemed like a likely spot to dispose of a body. So, investigators brought in dog teams to try and track Kayla's scent. They also employed cadaver dogs. One dog in particular indicated something near the lake, so police brought in a dive team. The team searched the lake extensively, but were unable to come up with anything. For investigators, the one key point to them about the night Kayla vanished was that Kevin was the last person who had verified contact with her. That's usually where detectives start. Start with the last known person of the victim, and then move outward. They took a closer look at his timeline, with him having indicated that he dropped Kayla off at exactly 10.30 p.m. From where Kevin lived with his parents, the drive was approximately one hour. They were able to find only one witness who claimed to have seen Kevin that night after 10.30. Kevin's mother told authorities that she had seen Kevin in their home 
at approximately midnight. This would leave roughly 30 minutes between dropping off Kayla and arriving home. When police went to speak with Kevin again, he refused to communicate, feeling that authorities were harassing him, and he lawyered up. A lot of people look down on Kevin for this, but honestly, I've seen enough wrongly convicted documentaries to know that sometimes a lawyer can actually save you. And if you are questioned by police, even if you're 100% innocent, a lawyer is not a bad idea. For the next two months, police continued their investigation, but once again, found nothing useful. In an attempt to apply pressure and hopefully either get the ability to negotiate with Kevin or force his hand, an arrest warrant was issued. On October 26, 2009, Kevin was picked up by police and charged with reckless endangerment. The charges stemmed from picking up a 15-year-old girl, providing her with marijuana, and then she disappeared. After his arraignment, Kevin pled not guilty and a date for his trial was set. During this period of time, the rumor mill started up once again, with many people speculating that Kevin must have been involved in Kayla's disappearance, while others believe that Kayla had been murdered because she was pregnant. The arrest also drove a permanent wedge between Kayla's family and Kevin, with Jimmy ending their lifelong friendship. When Kevin was taken into custody, police used this opportunity to conduct a thorough examination of his Jeep. A forensics team combed the vehicle inside and out, searching for any evidence of a crime or any indication of what might have happened to Kayla. Police had previously tested the vehicle using alternative light sources, but this time they used other methods, including luminol. The test hit on a few spots of interest in the vehicle. These points of interest were removed and submitted to the crime lab for testing. Three weeks later, authorities conducted similar tests on Miguel's vehicle, and once again, they had a reaction from the luminol. Samples were taken out and sent to the lab, but unfortunately, nothing came from that either. While it was evident that police had found traces of blood in both vehicles, they couldn't prove any of the samples had come from Kayla. It could have been from either men, an animal, or a completely unrelated person or incident. It would later be revealed that both tests came back negative for whatever they were searching for, but interestingly enough, authorities have never revealed exactly what they tested or what they were testing for, at least not that I could find. With every trail running cold and the tips not mounting to very much, the police department contacted Madison Police and requested the assistance of a dog team. An officer was sent to Antigo with cadaver dogs. The dogs are trained to ignore the scent of living animals, as well as the decomposition related to dead animals, and note only the scent of human decomposition. In December of 2009, Officer Karen arrived in Antigo and was put through a blind test. Ten vehicles were lined up, and she was to take her dogs to the line and see if they found anything. Karen was not told who the vehicles belonged to, nor what case any of them might be related to. After walking the line, the dogs indicated on only one vehicle, Kevin's Jeep. Investigators were both excited and frustrated. 
While the dog had indicated the scent of a dead person in Kevin's Jeep, they had nothing else which could tie that scent to Kayla or any other crime. In an attempt to gather more information and hopefully find enough to develop an image of what had happened that night, authorities subpoenaed cell phone records for both Kevin and Miguel, as well as any close friends and family members they might have spoken to. While they examined Kevin's phone records, they found something interesting. On the night Kayla disappeared, he had indeed called her, as he said he was going to, to pick her up. The last call from Kevin's phone was made at 9 p.m., and then all activity stops until 2 p.m. the next day. Either his phone died, or he had turned it off. Of course, this could have just been a coincidence, but they also noticed in Kevin's phone records that this is not the first nor the last time that his phone is untrackable in the days before and after, which makes it difficult to pin down as connected to Kayla's disappearance. In regard to Miguel, his cell phone records showed that he had not spoken to Kayla the day she went missing, but there was something that seemed a little odd. An older cell phone, registered to Miguel, did have a hit on a cell tower that night. Three hours after Kayla was allegedly dropped off at the abandoned house, Miguel's old phone pinged in Lincoln County, 40 miles north of Wausau. Two calls came into the phone between 1.12 and 2.15 a.m., but Miguel did not answer either one of them. A team of cadaver dogs was sent up into the area surrounding the ping, but failed to find anything. Antigo police requested an interview with Miguel, but much like Kevin, he now refused. He cut all communication with investigators, stating that he too felt he was being harassed by the police and stood by his claim that he didn't see Kayla that night and had nothing to do with her disappearance. Very little happens in the next few months, and the Antigo police once again reached out for assistance. The National Guard was contacted, and in an attempt to supply more help, helicopters employing thermal imaging cameras were flown over suspected areas in Antigo. The cameras are designed to show disturbances in the ground and the possible location of burial sites. Unfortunately, they find nothing, and once again, investigators are back to square one. Once again, they reach out to Officer Karen, who comes up from Madison with her dogs. They begin pouring over wooded areas in Antigua, going inch by inch. Over the course of several months, they conducted over 12 different searches, and surprisingly, the dogs made several indications. There were a total of two indications, and, curiously enough, both indications were connected to one of the persons of interest. The first indication from the dogs took place on a piece of land owned by Kevin's parents. This immediately drew their attention back onto him, as it was also his vehicle on which the dogs had previously spotted. The second hit during these searches was on a potato farm, where Kevin just happened to work. While this evidence is circumstantial, it's difficult to dismiss three separate cadaver dog indications all tied to one specific person of interest, and not just a person of interest, but the last confirmed person to have been in contact with Kayla. While all this evidence is helpful and inches the investigation forward, it just isn't enough to do anything. Once again, the case begins to fall cold. Tips and leads grow few and far between. 
Nearly two years after Kayla's disappearance, on August 8, 2011, a judge dismissed the reckless endangerment charges that was filed against Kevin, noting a lack of evidence. When asked for further explanation, the judge expressed that while Kayla's disappearance was disturbing and sad, Kevin could not be held accountable in connection to it, as it was Kayla herself who directed Kevin to the location. Tragically, this would not be the only blow dealt to Kayla's family that year. James, Kayla's father, ultimately lost his battle with cancer in 2011 and passed away, never learning the truth of what had happened to his daughter. According to friends and family, he never relinquished hope that Kayla would return home and that they would see one another again. The loss was especially hard for Jimmy, who had been without his sister for nearly two years and now also lost his father. I can't even imagine the pain and frustration. In hopes of stirring up new tips, Antigua Police Department made contact with both the FBI and the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. The FBI posted a $20,000 reward for information leading to an arrest and a conviction, while the center begins producing age-progressed photos of Kayla, indicating how she may appear two years later, which I'll be posting on my webpage and in our Facebook group. These images show the possible appearance of Kayla from 16 to 20 years old. Antico police poured over the files of local sex offenders, and even those from neighboring states, as well as examining human trafficking operations, though no clues relating to Kayla were ever discovered. I pulled up a watchdog map of sex offenders within the nearby vicinity of the house Kevin claims to have dropped Kayla off at. It was staggering the number of sex offenders that lived just within a few miles of the house. In a future episode, I'll explore this theory a little bit more in depth. There have been multiple sightings of Kayla over the years. She was thought to have been working at a gas station in Texas or married to a man in Louisville, Kentucky, though in all instances, the person sighted has never turned out to be Kayla. Multiple events have been held over the years to garner attention for Kayla's story. There have been candlelight visuals, balloon releases, and all manners of attempts through social media to try to get her story out there. There was, for a period of time, a Tumblr page dedicated to drawing awareness to Kayla's case, but it no longer exists. There are a few Facebook groups dedicated to helping the search, but once again, I must advise caution as to which one you join. If the group is trying to raise money for shirts, or the admins of the group seem overly dramatic, insulting, and unprofessional, it's probably best to avoid those groups. Pure speculation without any hard evidence makes it difficult to tell the difference between new leads and rumors that have already been debunked. In next week's episode, I'll try to wade through the swamp of gossip and theories and try to bring an end to rumors that have already been debunked so we can move forward to hopefully bringing Kayla home. If you know something about what happened to Kayla, just please say something to anyone. Either email me at info at searchingforclosure.com or contact authorities at 715-627-6411.
Make sure you subscribe to the podcast to get updated on new episodes when they release. And also stay up to date by visiting my webpage, searchingforclosure.com, where I'll post missing person flyers, updates, and age-progressed photos of Kayla. Until next time, thank you for listening. Thank you.